Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? And welcome back to the 30th episode of Sludge Cast. Of course, we've got Sludge here and finally returning. It feels like forever. My co-host, Micah. Micah, how's it going? So, dude, it's been forever since it feels like you've been over here. It has been. Because of this stupid COVID <laughs> junk. Um, so, yeah, because the last uh, last episode, um, weren't able to get you over here. And so, Sarah stepped up. And I think she's actually going to come back for the next one when we do the Mortal Kombat episode. Sweet. So, we're, or not Mortal Kombat, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Oh, okay. Because yeah. she grew up watching that one. <laughs> and I know Austin's coming for that mm-hmm. one. So, she was like, yeah, I want to do another one. And she <laughs> loved the Power Rangers as a kid. So, it was like, perfect. Uh, but tonight, it's just, it's just the normal crew. It is me and Micah ready to rock this one off. So, we've got a lot of news stuff for you tonight. We are going to go bring out uh, a new segment that we're going to start. It was Micah's idea. I think it's super great. We're going to talk about that after the news. And then we're going to give you a, a sweet song that I'm really stoked about. Actually, I don't even want to do the show right now. I just want to just <laughs> listen to this song because this dude, this record is insane. Um, and then, of course, the second article or second topic tonight is going to be Roger Corman, which is going to be great. So we're going to kind of dig into the history of one of the, I think, the greatest creators in the movie industry. Um, paved way for a lot that most people probably don't even realize. That's high praise right there so, coming from you. Oh, yeah. I'm a big Cole <laughs> Corman fan, so pretty stoked about it, and I uh, hope you guys will enjoy it. First, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the news because some big things are happening. Even though we've all been kind of stuck at home, <laughs> which it's time to get out. Y'all need to get out um, <laughs> before we all go crazy. Um, some major things have happened. Uh, things are finally starting to move. I saw today, actually, and this isn't one of the articles I picked up, but a couple productions have been greenlit to, to keep to pick up and start going again. Uh, Lord of the Rings and uh-huh. um, for the movies, for those who don't know, Amazon's doing a series, Lord of the Rings. It's been they've been okay in New Zealand to start yeah. picking back up production on it and a couple of other ones. So it's awesome to see things are starting to go back to normal. Yeah. Um, but some things are not. So <laughs> that's the first news article is is very interesting. It broke just a couple of days ago that AMC announced that they will be banning all Universal Studio movies from screening in the theaters. That's huge. Are they trying to lose money? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> AMC is probably it was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, chain of movie theaters. I mean, right. they got over yeah. a thousand theaters in yeah. the country. And the issue that they had was, and they, they're saying it's with a contract uh, issue, is that Universal announced that NBC Universal will be doing away with the 90-day grace period um, after seeing a huge return on the new Trolls movie, Trolls World Tour. Right. Okay. For those who don't know what the 90-day grace period is, is when you, because now we got live, you know, streaming, right. and, and and it's always been there, you know, but before streaming, it was just, you know, VHS DVD rental, right. you know, at the theater yeah. store. But uh, there was always contracts between studios and the theaters that they had a 90-day grace period where the studios would not release the movies to a home video or another format other than the theaters for 90 days so that the theaters could make their money off right. of it too, yeah. okay? you uh, Since everything that's happened with the COVID virus, um, 
Universal decided to release Trolls World World Tour straight to streaming right. and renting it, much like what ended up happening with Invisible Man and uh, Bloodshot and a few other, you know, not just Universal, just right. every yeah. studio's doing it. But Trolls World Tour ended up bringing in um, more than the first one did. It, it broke $100 million in three weeks. Wow. The first Trolls movie did $77 million in that time. It made $157 million in five months. So in three weeks, wow. Trolls did almost what the first one did in a theatrical run. Right, right. So because of that, um, how successful it was doing just the streaming thing, um, Universal's decided that they're going to start releasing films simultaneously streaming and in theaters. Right. This really ticked off AMC. Oh, yeah. Um, AMC, and I've got the actual quote here from the their um, uh, their chairman here. This is what they say here. This radical change, because what Universal's doing, this is AMC, change by Universal to the business model that currently exists between our two companies represents nothing but downside for us and is categorically unacceptable to AMC, AMC Entertainment, the world's largest collection of movie theaters. Going forward, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I'm just going to read this last little bit. AMC will not license any Universal movies in our 1,000 theaters globally on these terms. They're they're calling it a contract break right. because of what Universal is doing, releasing these simultaneously on streaming. And, and it is going to cost AMC money. They're going to lose money. And I can see that and right. understand that. Yeah. But I don't think this is the best move. But this is something that's really important and I think we need to look at because we can see – we are seeing the movie industry change right before Absolutely. our eyes. Okay. Um, I mean, we've seen, we see here in our area, they just yeah. announced today one of the theaters in our area is closing down permanently. Yeah. One thing I do think is pretty cool this time, though, is you're seeing the return of the drive-in. Right. Yeah. Which is awesome. And yeah. why it's not all over the news, I have no idea, you know, right now. I mean, because that is so cool. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be great. Hopefully, the drive-in comes back in full force. That'd Absolutely. be awesome. Yeah. But this is huge. So if AMC cancels with Universal, what you know? What's the next step? Because I, I think hopefully they can resolve this issue, but that's right. huge because yeah. then Universal is going to go well. <clears throat> you know, Trolls made almost the entire um, Trolls World Tour made almost the entire amount that the first one did in far less than half the time, right. in less than a month versus five months. Streaming works as home entertainment. Yeah. What's that going to do? Is it going to raise box office prices? Is it going to lower box office prices? Are more companies going to go just to straight streaming? Or are they going to stick with AMC and Cinemark and stuff? You know, that's huge Absolutely. Yeah. for a theater to say, we're done. You know, I mean, we're not going to release any more of your films. Yeah. Especially if it's not like, I mean, it's not like it's like Lionsgate. Right. You know, this is Universal. Yeah. One of the big dogs. And uh, that's a lot of movies to say we're not bringing in. I think it was bold. Oh, absolutely. On their part. Yeah. I mean, th they would never dare say that to Disney. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> that would be the dumbest move ever. Um, you know, I mean, Universal is number three. I mean, you got Disney, you got Warner Brothers, and you got Universal. Yeah. Um, so that's that's huge. We're going to see what happens with right. this because yeah. it's very interesting because just, you know, listen to me here. This could be a very huge tipping point to how we experience movies from now on absolutely you know yeah. uh, there could be something that comes up to where they're going to start splitting the the films i mean you may have a, a selection this is something i see coming or think would come is those movies where the studios are spending six figures you know 100 I'm six figures not six hundred thousand like hundred thousand we're talking like a hundred million sorry yeah. Yeah. nine figures <laughs> um so like a hundred million 
dollar budgets and above, I could see always going to theaters. Right. But then those lower budget films, 80 million, 60 million, 20 million streaming services. Right. So you can see a real tide shift here with what's happening. This is going to be interesting. Just yeah, be paying absolutely. attention. Yeah. But I thought that was very important to say is that AMC has completely, if you've not heard, banned all Universal Monster or Universal Monster, Universal movies <laughs> from theaters. So that's that's massive. Like not cool at all. But there's other theaters that'll put them in there. But mm-hmm. AMC, that's the big dogs. Yeah. So that was very, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Next bit of news. Um is, of course, we all love Star Wars and we all love The Mandalorian. Uh, Mandalorian, of course, is underway, uh, season two. And I saw it in the news the other day and thought it was super awesome because, you know, John Favreau's still the showrunner on this one, which is going to be great. A lot of big Phenomenal. stuff happening. Yes. Season one was absolutely unbelievable. Best Star Wars thing there is, you know, period, aside from Empires. Uh, oh, dude, I'm, it is. I'm going to have to. If you say yeah. one of the new trilogies. No, no. Oh, okay. Oh, Lord, no. You haven't watched the new Clone Wars season, have you? Not all of it, but it is amazing so far. And I've heard it's absolutely unbelievable. So uh, to me, it the ending, Mandalorian for me. Really? Yes. I heard the ending was, like, I'm trying to stay away from it and not, oh, I don't yeah. want to ruin it for myself. Yeah. But I heard it's just freaking mind-blowing. The final four episodes are like, it's... Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't <laughs> wait. So, but a lot of good stuff is coming on with the Mandalorian. Super stoked for it. But they just announced that uh, they've got two new directors coming in to direct some episodes. That is Robert Rodriguez, who is one of my favorite directors. He's absolutely awesome. He did From Dust Till Dawn. He did those, he did the Predators, the third Predator film, which I thought was pretty decent. Um, but he did the Desperado movies. Um, great director. He did those kids' movies that did really well. I don't like them, but the kids love them. Um, like Shark Boy and Lava Girl or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, he did the Scott, Spy Kids. Yeah. That's yeah. what it was, Spy Kids. Um, and then Peyton Reed, Ant-Man. Um, you know, Peyton Reed, they're coming in to direct some uh, episodes for Mandalorian Season 2, which I think is super, super awesome. I really can't wait to see Robert Rodriguez oh, yeah. because the potential of adding that, his action mm-hmm. flicks are phenomenal. Yeah. Like the Desperado, Desperado with Antonio Banderas was one of the best like action films I've ever seen. It's so, so good. And I absolutely loved From Dust Till Dawn. That was such a good, one of the best vampire movies ever. And uh, he did a phenomenal job with that. So I can't wait to see him bring his spin, especially in the Man- Mandalorian, the right. bounty hunter aspect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like a Western-esque <laughs> type episode is going to be boss. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about that. You actually have a piece of news for Mandalorian too, don't you? Uh, yeah. The um, the original, uh, well, I don't say the original, but um, the guy who played Jango Fett in Attack of the Clones uh, help me pronounce the name so I don't mess it up. Uh, dude, I can't even remember. We were trying to Tur- Tumura, I think. Tumura, yeah. Tumura Morrison. Yeah, that's right. He's coming back to play Boba Fett. It's Which been is going officially awesome. announced. So bringing Boba Fett and having Django play, the guy played Django, that's awesome. I don't like it. You don't like it? He died. Just leave him dead. But there might be something to it. I mean, just think how awesome it would be. Like, he digs himself, shoots himself out of that sandworm, and it's like, Luke, you know? And I don't know. It would be cool. Like, <laughs> I'm yeah. excited. It's it's Boba. Like, it's I like Boba. Boba. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I know. do think it's cool they're having him play Boba Fett. Oh, though. absolutely. Like yeah. that. I don't think they yeah. could have picked anybody better. No. Obviously, you can't get the original guy. <laughs> but um, but I think that's pretty sweet. So yeah. they're set up for a great season two. Uh, I mean, and bringing Rosario Dawson as a, uh, Ashoka. Ashoka Tano. Yeah. Dude, that's going to be. Phenomenal. I'm excited about that. I'm just waiting for Darth Maul to show up. Oh yeah. That would be awesome. So season two of Mandalorian is going to be really, really Darth cool. Maul's already dead, but <laughs> they'll bring him back too. You can do it, man. <laughs> um, so a lot of cool stuff. Another news article, Star Wars related, which I am super stoked about is, is Taika Waititi yes. is yes. doing his own Star Wars film. It is announced that he's co-writing and directing uh, an unpronounced 
Star Wars film for Disney. That's awesome. Yes. Like, the dude is a phenomenal movie director. I cannot wait to see what he does with Thor, uh, oh, for Love of Thunder. Was... I mean, he Ragnarok ruled. Dude, yeah. Um, so, I mean, Taiki, or Taika, how do you pronounce his name? Dude's an amazing, amazing director. He's a great actor, too. Yeah. Like, he does great in the Thor films. Like, he's really good in those. Um, I, I love the dude. So, I'm excited to see what he does Star Wars wise. Are we still thinking Old Republic type deal? I don't know. See, I mean, there's so many different things going on with Star Wars right now. It's like, is it going to be a solo type movie story? Right. Um, not meaning Han Solo, but just right. like a solo <laughs> film or are they going to go with the Old Republic and yeah. not to the Old Republic and have him start it off? Cause yeah. I think that would be the way to go because I don't think he can. I, well, solo I, movies are good. At, I almost don't know if he would be the right pick for the Knights of right, the Old Republic though because yeah. he's got such a very when you look at Thor Ragnarok, you look at you know, what we expect and see coming from right. the Love of Thunder. Right. Um, his style is very much, you know, that very flashy, very, uh, he could probably do it. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. But I just don't see, Nazi the Republic seems more of a, a, a more darker, darker yeah. serious film right. to do. Yeah. So, I mean, seeing him do like an, uh, I would absolutely love for him to do an Ewoks film. <laughs> like bring Wicked back like that would be awesome you know what I mean he could do so good with yeah, that yeah. or at least just bring the Ewoks in his movie I don't care if they're actually in an Ewok film just bring the Ewoks back um, so I don't know about him doing the Knights of the Old Republic I mean he could probably do it he's such a good director yeah, yeah. but I mean just with his style I see him doing a solo story yeah. which would be really really yeah. really cool an early story of like Chewie would be great yeah yeah. which I guess we kind of got with well, solo, but, solo yeah. but you know would be really cool so Still. Anyway, super excited that he's coming back. Absolutely. Two other pieces of news. One, I have been, I've been sitting on this for a long while. We're talking two, 2017. <laughs> okay. I've been saying this for since 2017. There is a combo creator named Rob Leefield. A lot of people may probably know who he is. If they don't, well, you do know who he is. You just probably may not realize it. He's the creator of Deadpool, creator of X-Force. He's created a lot of combo characters, drawn a lot of combo characters, especially for Marvel. But he created a lot of his own characters, too. And one of them is a character named John Prophet, who was an absolutely awesome character. John Prophet uh, came out uh, during Rob in Rob Leefield's uh, Youngblood comics. And John Prophet was a genetically altered soldier that was cryogenically frozen to go to a, do a mission in the future. And he wakes up too early, and there's no mission. And he's kind of having to find his way. Very much kind of Captain America type character, just right, right. freaking way more boss. <laughs> like he's got this awesome sword and long hair, and he's just an absolute beast. But they've been working on doing a movie for quite a while. They finally officially announced this yesterday. Mark Guggenheim, who of course led um, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, The Flash. I mean, the, the Arrowverse. Yeah. He's writing the script for the movie now. It's been announced, and then um, they have got, of course, Rob Liefeld will be producing it. Uh, and then I'm trying to remember, um, Adrian uh, Ascara, Brooklyn yeah. Weaver, John Hyde, and Teresa Kelton. A lot of the crew from <clears throat> right. the comic books yeah. is helping with this, which is super, super cool. I'm really excited about it. Studio 8's doing it. Uh, cause it uh, I finally, like, I picked up, I've gotten his first appearance and a lot of his first books, but I've never read the whole thing. You know right. what I mean, and so I picked up an actual run of his books the other day or a couple weeks ago maybe a month ago maybe two months ago it's been a little bit um, and the storyline is absolutely awesome I love that they add scripture there's a lot of scriptural oh, stuff yeah. inside the books um, and, and but Prophet is just he's awesome I mean he's like if you wanted that little bit slightly edgier Captain America who was almost like Captain America but 
more anti-hero-esque. He could be. Captain America Batman mixed. Yeah, yeah. That would be, that's John Prophet. I mean, he's a freaking beast. So (laughs) I'm really excited about it. I'm I'm excited to see these other combo companies finally step out and try to make their own movies. Right. You know, Bloodshot, was it an Avengers quality film? No, but it was great. (laughs) I had a lot of fun. It was super, super fun. I really cannot wait and hope that they do another one um, because I had a blast. You know, I mean, it was really good. I mean, it's better than Ant-Man by a long shot, um, I thought. Um, better than you know the first Daredevil film, better than Electro. That's fair, but let's not put Ant Man in that category with the first Daredevil film. We can't. I'm just saying those those you know not the Avengers, well, you know, cool. Iron yeah, Man. Yeah, but you know now you're, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't put Ant Man with Daredevil. <laughs> not quite. Not. It's funnier. You know, I'll give it that much. Um, but uh, but I mean, seeing these dudes being able to start making their movies. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Now, if Tom and Froling can just get it together and get Spawn out, I would be super happy. So, <laughs> but I am really stoked the fact that they're finally greenlit and it's been officially announced that the profit's coming because that's a great comic book story. Rob Liefeld's a great creator, so I cannot wait to see what they do with this. Um, super, super stoked about it. The last thing on the news that we're going to run into <laughs> introducing you guys to our new segment where we're starting on the show. There's a new Riddick movie in the works. There is ben indeed. Diesel has got his script in this week. Uh, for the fourth film, I cannot wait. But Riddick is hands down my favorite Vin Diesel character. Like I, I like, I love Vin Diesel. I mean, I love him Bloodshot. I love you know, love him in the Fast and Furious movies. Um, there's really the only thing I don't like him in is The Pacifier, which I know a lot of people like that movie. It's <laughs> a good movie. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just don't get into those type of films. I, 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 I get him. Oh, yeah. Kindergarten Cop and 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 The Pacifier. I get it's good, the, it's good for a laugh. Yeah, I, yeah, I get the, yeah. the the enjoyment that you're supposed to get out of those films. It's just they're not for me. You're missing one of his big ones. What am I missing? Groot. Well, yeah, he's Groot, <laughs> but I mean, like he voices Groot. Um, you know what I mean? But he's the Riddick films. That's what that's where he really started. I mean, right. Pitch Black really set his career right. playing Charles or playing Riddick. And uh, Chronicles of Riddick was not as good. It was bigger. It was much, much more bigger world-wise uh, as far as creating the world of Riddick and much more science fiction, but it wasn't as good as Pitch Black. And then he came back and did, he wrote the third one <laughs> and then produced it uh, with David Twohey and it was absolutely phenomenal. Went back to the bare bones root of what Pitch Black was, excuse me, and was phenomenal. Like, I loved the third Riddick film. So for him, and no, I know when he was talking about doing the third one, that he had two more. Like, when he went to pitch these to David Twohey, who did the first two and did the third one with him as well, he brought three movies. Right. And they were, like, leather-bound <laughs> and, like, this crazy-looking, like, ancient leather bindings, all three films in the Like, he went top-notch. I mean, I love, that's what I love about Ben, is Ben goes above and beyond for any role he, yeah. that he does. Um, so I'm super stoked. There's nothing is known yet about this movie but i'm sure we'll start to find things oh, out yeah. soon yeah um but uh i'm just excited a fourth riddick <laughs> film like i could have it's like jason Voorhees, you know like i could have 40 riddick films and i would totally be okay with it you know <laughs> up until the point to where i mean give me you know old bald with a crane cane you know riddick and i'm still gonna be like <laughs> yes it's riddick on screen so so I'm pretty stoked about that. I can't wait to see what happens. Just super good, fun movies. Um, anyway, so that's what we got news-wise for you guys. Definitely keep an eye out on the movie theater situation. Absolutely. I'm telling you that this could be a pivotal point. In our for, culture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And how we enjoy seeing yeah. movies uh, and how yeah. we, you know, for the first time. So, and the rise of the drive-in. I mean, I just hope it keeps going. So, so cool. Yeah, what absolutely. Going that. So, all right. So the next segment that we got for you guys is something new we're going to start doing. And uh, this was Micah's idea. Um, I thought it was awesome. And Micah's 
named this cage match. And I thought it was really cool. Micah's idea was pretty much to get two huge characters from not just like Marvel versus DC and have them battle it out, but from any really genre of pop culture. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we can go Star Wars, you know, Darth Vader versus Gandalf. Yeah. You know what I mean? So any property that's it's not there. Even a fight at all, but <laughs> no, I don't know, man. I, that, would, that would be pretty cool. I think that would be interesting. Um, but getting two pivotal characters from a universe and right. putting them toe to toe. Um, and you picked one, and I do want to <laughs> say that the one he picked, he was completely unaware that this battle has already been done. To you know, to be fair, totally to him. unaware. But to, I, I, I wanted to continue to do this one because I think um, everyone uh, asked got it wrong. It's a huge. <laughs> it's huge. Yeah. Um, so the first cage match is going to be none other than Superman versus Goku. Huge, huge characters. A, yeah. So for those who don't know Superman. <laughs> you've know you, you, you were born yesterday. Everybody knows who Superman is, okay? Son of Krypton. Yeah. He's the last remaining survivor of Krypton. Well, comes yeah. comes to Earth. Well, I mean, he's got his cousin <laughs> and whatnot, but anyways. And uh he's the man of steel. You know, I mean, he's pretty much invulnerable to anything but crypt kryptonite, okay? Um he gets his power from the the yellow sun, and he um it just unlimited strength. I mean, can do anything. Shoots, flies everywhere. Bulletproof, tank proof. I mean, we know who Superman is. Yeah. And then you got Goku. For those who don't know who Goku is, Goku is the main character from the longest running manga and anime series in history yeah. called Dragon Ball. All are also well, Dragon Ball Z, and now Dragon Ball Super. Super yeah. <laughs> there was also GT. Yeah. One time. So I mean, this this manga has been around since the eighties, yeah. um, and it's still going. Uh, I mean, the ma- manga for those who don't know is a Japanese comic book. And the manga started, I think, in 88, uh, round about then is when it came out. Spawned a huge anime series or manga series called Dragon Ball. And then went from Dragon Ball to Dragon Ball Z, which is the one of the single longest running anime series out yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I think there's another series that's longer. But, I mean, it's it's in there. But as far as overall Dragon right, Ball, right. it's the it's longest. Then you got GT and then now Super. Yeah. And uh, Goku is the strongest character of those. He is... He was sent to Earth to pretty much destroy the planet. Um, he is a uh, an alien life form known as a Saiyan who looks just like humans. Right. He has a monkey tail <laughs> comes out of his back, and because of that monkey tail, when the moon um, is in full force, he turns into this gigantic Godzilla-sized monkey that just destroys everything. And uh, called a, 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 an Oraku <laughs> is, is what it is. And so the thing about Goku is, is after every battle, he's he fights countless enemies over and over again, trying to save his family, friends, and planets, and keeping peace in the universe. Right. Um, he is uh, he just continually breaks over every boundary he has and becomes stronger and stronger and stronger throughout the series, and up to the point where he's gone through his normal fighting power and normal fighting power in this series. Of those who don't know, I mean, throwing a car is like throwing a toothpick. Yeah. You know, for this dude. Yeah. Um, and then he became a super saiyan. You know, so he that quadrupled his strength and his hair turned yellow. Um, and then <laughs> and they spiky. found out, yeah, when he broke into the Super Saiyan uh, powers, um, there's four different levels. Well, canon right now in Dragon Ball, there's three yeah. different levels. Yeah. You've got Super Saiyan, Super Saiyan level two, and Super Saiyan level three. Um, each one doubles the power and, and and makes him infinitely, strong, you know, significantly stronger. And now in the Super Saga, um, he has tapped into what they're calling uh, the God Forms. So he, when he turns his hair turns blue red at one point and then blue and they're called super saiyan god and super saiyan blue and these power levels are on the power levels of gods Mm -hmm. in the dragon ball universe goku is now also the first person 
who's ever tapped into what's called ultra instinct, um, which ultra instinct is a power level that is on the same level as God's in the series, if not higher. Right. Um, Ultra instinct's pretty much what it sounds like. His strength, there's no known end or limit to his strength. Um, and his speed is a defined speed. Instinct. I mean, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. he, he could run 600 circles around flash before flash could blink an eye yeah. at this point. Um, yeah. so that's a huge, um, and the reason why we, we were talking about this earlier that, they, that <laughs> this has already happened is you can find on a group of guys called, uh, uh, on YouTube called, I think it's screw attack. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. who did a Superman versus Goku video. Uh, they actually did a second one too for their 50th episode, uh, like a rematch because that was their biggest one still mm-hmm. to the date is the first. I think yeah. it's like 39 million plays. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. But in their videos, Superman comes out on top. Um, and uh, I totally, totally disagree. I knew you uh, would. With this. Um, but so let's dig into it. I'm like, Micah, why yeah, yeah. in these two, Superman versus Goku, who would you pick? Right. Wing? It's obviously Superman. Like, okay. No. Yeah, it's gonna be. I, and I'm a fan of Dragon Ball. Like I've ever since I met you, I, I started watching, um, and and I've really enjoyed it. But you know, there's one thing that those guys in that video said, and we had no idea these pe- guys existed before we. I had thought about this or anything. Like I just, hey, like this. I did. Cool. I just. Oh, you did. Was, yeah, oh. I just wasn't going to say anything because I want to talk about it because I'm very pro Goku. <laughs> no, I knew you. Were. Um, but they say in the video that you know, Goku has the power to overcome his limits. But with Superman, he has no limits. Like that's and that's the big thing to me is the only way to harm Superman is taking away the sun or kryptonite. And or magic. Well magic, but But Goku key, doesn't have magic. But key so. is not magic. Yet. Yeah. So that, that we're not <laughs> we're not gonna discuss the magic part. No. Um and and so like even at that, like my big thing is uh, whenever I look at if somebody can beat Superman, I always take it down one level and say, "Can they beat Doomsday?" Right. Because Doomsday is pretty beat much Superman. the yeah antithesis of what Superman is. And so, you know, to me, I don't even think Goku could beat Doomsday because Doomsday is invulnerable to anything Goku could produce. Therefore, you know, same thing for Superman at that level. Right. Um, so that's that's my argument to it. Uh, uh, I'd like to see where you're coming from here because... Oh, I'm going to blow it out of the water. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> out the water. So, I mean, it, there is no argument to Superman's... It's, Superman's power is, unli- is limitless. Right. Because he gets his energy from the sun. But the problem there is he gets his energy from the, from the yellow sun. Right. So there is a limit to his power. That's the limit of the actual sun. Right. As the sun dies, his power dies. You know? So, I mean, you yeah, Goku has the power to destroy a sun. Oh, absolutely. Easily. Absolutely. Easily. There's no question. Goku would never do that, though. No, no. I mean, because he is, he, you know, he's about preserving and saving mm-hmm. life. You know, he's got two weaknesses. Red sun, no sun. Goku can instant transform, his instant um, transportation move, right. instant transmission can take him immediately to a planet with a red sun. Right. In a split second before Goku. Right. Superman. Absolutely. Could. So if he take him there, somewhere there, his power is gone, and Goku doesn't even have to do anything. Right. You know, that's one thing. Two's kryptonite. If Goku has kryptonite, he which he could easily easily get. Right. No. Yeah. He could stop Superman. However, Goku wouldn't do that. He likes a fair fight. He wants his opponent to be exactly. at his best constantly. So those two options 
Red Sun, Kryptonites totally off the table because Goku wouldn't even allow it to happen. Right. Because he always, because he, he's always wanting to push himself mm-hmm. further and further yeah. and further and further. That's the best part about his character, too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so good. Now, the problem with these guys' video for me is, is there's a few things. Right. Okay. One is that when you look at the power of, like you said, Doomsday. Right. Okay. Yeah. Doomsday ended up being killed, obviously. Oh, yeah. I think Goku could easily wipe Doomsday off the face of the earth okay. in Super Saiyan 3 form. Three? Yeah. Two or one, I don't think so. Okay. Problem with three is it's very short time frame. It's so powerful and drains his energy so much, he cannot utilize it very yeah. long. Yeah. But if we go with what's canon right now, okay, uh-huh. we got Super Saiyan Red, Super Saiyan Blue, now Ultra, Ultra Instinct. Instinct. Yeah. Okay. Ultra Instinct puts him on par with the gods that created the universe right. and the God of Destruction. Right. When I look at the God of Destruction in Dragon Ball Z, I cannot fathomly put Superman being able to beat him. Really? This is the this is the being that controls chaos and destruction. Right. He makes life happen because of what he does. So putting Goku beating that type of character means you're putting Go- or Superman at beating that type of character means you're putting Superman at beating beings like the new gods and the celestials um, in DC. Mm-hmm. The beings he can't beat in DC. You know what I'm saying? Something like, the, I mean, there's all those celestial creators right. that he just can't not defeat because right. they are so big. Beerus the mm-hmm. God of Destruction in Dragon Ball is the equivalent of those characters. Okay? Goku, in his blue form, can't beat Beerus. Right. So all the way up to Super Saiyan Blue, because I got to put Superman and Beerus together. Right. Goku can't beat him. Right. He can give him a run for his money, but he can't beat him. So I can't see Superman, Super Saiyan Blue Goku right. beat Superman. Right. I can't yeah. do it. That's, yeah. And I mean, even with his fighting technique, because technique, because Goku is a far superior fighter. I mean, he would just like when you watch those videos. I I think it would just be Superman being a punching bag, honestly, because he couldn't keep up with the fighting skills of Goku. There's just no way, right? But he couldn't really do anything, you know, because he's Superman. But Ultra Instinct puts Goku at the same, if not, because we don't know the limits yet, right? Higher power of these gods in Dragon Ball. At Ultra Instinct, Superman stands no chance because Goku doesn't even. It, it's so, like I said, I mean, he, he he's it's it's completely instinctual. Superman against Ultra Instinct, Superman has to think of a reaction of Goku's punch coming. Okay, so his mind has to go. Here comes the punch, and the speeds are insane with these dudes. Anyways, oh yeah, absolutely. But he has to register in his mind the punch is coming. I have to react mm-hmm. and do something. Okay, mm-hmm. no matter how fast it is. Ultra Instinct's form, that whole thought process, no matter how quick, is gone. Right. It's absolute instantaneous instinct. So there's nothing Superman can do to top that because he can never hit a punch. He will never be able to hit Goku at all because of the way Ultra Instinct works. There's no speed he can garnish at his power to match that itself. Even if he was able to go strength toe-to-toe, which now you're talking about Goku being at a strength level with Ultra Instinct— that is on par or surpasses the gods of both universes, right. DC, if Goku and Superman can handle strength to strength, he can't top his speed. 
which gives Superman an extremely huge disadvantage because Goku's movements and Ultra Instinct is literally instantaneous. Right. So because of that Ultra Instinct form, I think Trump Superman. Anything below it, I, I do have to, unfortunately, even though I don't want to say it, <laughs> have to give it to Superman. Right. You know what I mean? But Ultra Instinct, at that point, Superman's done. See, for me, there's one kind of glaring issue, um, and not even that it's an issue with Goku, but it's um, the fact that any of his key attacks, like his big Kamehameha, for, some, for example, yeah, it wouldn't be able to affect Superman because he's pure heart. That's kind of, I think that's Goku's big thing is he's the ultimate. Uh, we got the two best heroes. Right. Yeah. You know I mean, like, right. These are the dudes that all, I mean, they're, they're the nicest and best that can be. Yeah. I mean, they are, they're true heart. Both of them. Right. And so I think that's kind of like, because I think Superman can absorb any punch from, uh, you know, he takes punches from, you know, dark side and doomsday, you know, people that are on the level of gods yeah. and even the new gods of, of, uh, well, Dark Side is a new god. Yeah, but yeah. um, you know, and and I just I think even with the instant, there's gonna be a moment to where you know Superman has Goku. Whether it's because Superman is still extraordinarily fast, but nowhere near the level of Ultra Instinct, right? But even at that, I, I think you know Superman fights beings that are faster than him. You know, the Flash, for example. And depends it, on which race you exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> which race are we going with? One, two, or three. See, like, that's the big thing here is like, you know, there's several different variations of each one of these. You know, you look at New 52 Superman and then behind that, the reboot, like that Superman could sneeze away solar systems. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's, it, that was the big thing with that uh, screw attack. They picked almost like it seemed like they picked the weaker version of Goku and kind of kept it with a semi strong Superman. Right. I didn't really like that. Um, but even in their video, they didn't even have Ultra Instinct yet because I don't even think it came into... Not yet, no. So, you know, I I, I really can't say. Um, but, you know, to me, it's it's Superman just based on durability and the strength that he can output. So... Yeah, I can see it. To me, the ultimate win for these two in a cage match is an absolute draw. Oh, absolutely. Because the characters that And I think that that's are. the most likely... Yeah, the the most honest, likely thing would be an absolute mm-hmm. draw of both of them going. This has been fun. Like we, <laughs> we, we both do, learned from this. Yeah, we need to do this again yeah. sometime. You know what I mean? Um, but I mean that's that's going to be the teetering thing though for me yeah. when it comes to Goku winning is the Ultra Instinct, right? And that's just because there is, I mean, the movement is just something two Superman will not be able to keep up with at that point. Strength, yeah, we can go all day with strength right, and stuff, yeah. but if you can't keep up with speed, too many times we've seen. You know, Flash, as an example, overcome villains that are far stronger, far more powerful than him because of his speed alone. Right. You know, so and same with Superman, oh, too. Yeah. You know, so that's why I think, you know, form-wise, I think Ultra Instinct would... would well, there's definitely would, arguments both ways. Oh, yeah, definitely. Is, is, Draws the best way to go. Because uh, these are the two most powerful characters in pop culture. In, in, yeah, of anything. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's every every pop culture one. These are the two biggest ones. So, so we started off strong. Oh, for yeah, you guys. So, yeah. what we're going to start doing is was with these, and and definitely you know let us know online who you think would win. You know, Superman or Goku, multiple versions of each one, of course. Um, but who you think would actually win the you know that match? Um, and we're going to start doing the future ones where we'll pull these different characters and we'll may start polling on polling mm-hmm. on yeah. the page to see who you would like to see yeah. involved in one of these. Yeah. 
And one of the things we talked about too is is we're going to need to start doing a tiebreaker because what if we, you know, <laughs> like tonight, who, like tonight, um, you go because we could debate. Me and Mike could definitely back and forth on who would win or who wouldn't win. And so we're going to start calling people, and we'll let you know before the recording who <laughs> yeah. we're calling. And we're going to call one of you listeners, and you guys will be the tiebreaker mm-hmm. to let us know who would win these cage matches. So these are going to be pretty cool, a lot of fun. Um, I mean, I've already got tons of character ideas of oh, who I'd dude. like to see. Yeah. You know, from the, and, and it may not be even huge, powerful characters. No. Just so you all know, you know, we may say, "Hey, you know, this is going to be, um, you know, John McClane versus Martin Riggs <laughs> from Lethal, you know, Lethal Weapon and, and uh, Die Hard." You know, it's just two great pivotal characters in a pop culture universe or, yeah. or movie or game or whatever, yeah. and pitting those two together in a in a cage match. So I'm I, I'm excited about this one because it's gonna be a lot of fun, and it's we can come fun. up with some really unique ones. Oh, absolutely! Like. See if the I'm Ninja told, Turtles in there somewhere, or just oh, dude, stuff that like would, that. Yeah. yeah, that'd be awesome. Throw throw Barney against somebody. <laughs> I would just love to see that purple dinosaur just ripped to shreds. <laughs> Barney versus Big Bird cage match fight. Don't watch. You know what I mean, so just off the wall stuff. So if you guys can think of a character, let us know yeah. who would you like to see in a cage match yeah. against who, or just something to be really cool. So these are going to be a lot of fun. I'm really really great. excited about That's these. Great. So. All right, well let's move on to a song break before we get to our last segment. Now this song. Um, is one of my favorite bands, but I think we've had them play on the show before, but it's Wolves at the Gate. Uh, they're a Christian hard rock band. Love these dudes. They just came out with a new album here recently, and there's a song on this album called Face to Face that has just absolutely been blowing me away, and I can't stop listening to it. I know you guys are going to love it. If you've never heard them before, prepare to fall in love with a new band, and definitely <laughs> check them out. But here's Wolves at the Gate, Face to Face. And what is truly real 
All right, and that was Wolves at the Gate with Face to Face. That whole record is freaking unreal. <laughs> and uh, you guys definitely need to check that out. So, uh, all right, so next topic. I wanted to dive into something. We were trying to figure out what to do for second, second, second topic. And this guy's name has come up a few times here recently on the Monster Movie Stop Down. This guy um, really kind of started back in the 50s in the movie industry. His name's Roger Corman, and a lot of people may know the dude's name. He's the king of B, pretty much, um, when it comes to lower-budget films. Roger Corman, um, he really started his career. He did. He directed a movie called The Day the World Ended back in the 50s. That was a great science fiction movie about the end of the world. Um, but he was really, back then, most famously known for his Edgar Allan Poe films, Fall of the House, House of Usher, Raven, you know what I mean? Like those, especially because they all had Vincent Price in it, too. Right. right. Phenomenal. Pit and the Pendulum was one of my favorite. Like, they're unbelievable movies. Some of the best, I still think those are the best Edgar, Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe films right. that's been made, is Roger and Vincent's uh, team-up for those movies. But he went through and he's made a ton of movies. We looked it up on IMDb before the show, um, and he has produced 416 films. I don't know of any person <laughs> that has got a producing record that long. That's insane. That may be the longest. Yeah. Directing, he's got 56. Um, then, of course, he's actually acted in a few films, and a lot of people may not realize. Like, he was in The Silence of the Lambs. Um, he was actually the FBI director in that. So he's got a few small acting roles. I mean, Roger Corman's, it, he's, he's the Stan Lee of the movie world. Okay, that's who Roger is. I mean, he's an older dude. And in a lot of stuff that we have, and movie-wise, we wouldn't have because if it wasn't for him. When Dan O'Bannon first came up with Alien and started shopping the the screen or the, the screenplay, the script for it around, he went to Roger. And this was before it was even called, it was called Star Beast at the time. <laughs> and we talked about this, I think, on a Monster Movie Stomp now too. And Roger turned and told him no. He said, this is too good of a movie for me to do. He's like, you don't need to give up on this. Keep shopping this. You need to change the name and shop this movie around. And because Dan listened to him, Ridley Scott and Fox picked it up and we got the Alien franchise. You know, I mean, could you imagine <laughs> if he wouldn't got, if Roger wasn't honest enough to say this is too good? Right. And of course he did say, if you, you know, if no one picks it up, come back, I'll buy the movie and I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I mean, he pushed Dan to really not give up on that movie and it became huge, huge. I mean, Roger, not only did he, of course, produce a, a massive library of films, he created movie, you know, studios. He created New World Pictures, uh, which was uh, a big movie company in the 80s, um, and also home distribution. I mean, they, you know, New Line Cinema did Nightmare on Elm Street, but New World Pictures released it to home video. You know, they did Gods on 85. They've done, I mean, they did tons of movies back then. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, New Concord he created, which was kind of his his still around his movie company from the, especially in the nineties, mm -hmm. you know, the Carnosaur films was, was a big series on there and a lot of other lower budget horror films, which he was the king of most of what he's done is lower budget horror films or even action movies. Have you heard of the death race films? Mm -mm. They were remade nope. um, several years ago. Jason Statham was in the remake. A lot of his movies actually get remade mm. into bigger Hollywood films. And there's a whole new series. I mean, there's like, there's like four death race films. Now those all came from, Rogers original right. film Death Race 2000. Um, Rogers, you know, huge. I've got a list here of the biggest thing that that Rogers known for, not just for just making great fun movies. They're not like Hollywood blockbusters, right. but he can take a hundred thousand dollars and turn out an amazing movie out of it. And he just pumps movies out left and right constantly. Yeah. Always has. Actually, when um, the Fox had the Fantastic Four rides and they were about to lose them. 
they hired Roger to make a Fantastic Four film that they were planning on releasing, and it's a cult classic now. You know mm-hmm. I mean, because it was yeah. never had an official release, but I've, I've got it. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. And you it's really got Roger Corman's flair to it. But Roger kick-started so many people's career because Roger would give people a chance when no one else would in the industry. And that was huge. Here's some film directors that got their career started because of Roger Corman. Francis Ford Coppola, Ron Howard, Martin Scorsese, Jonathan Dim, John Sayles, and James Cameron. Okay? Mm. Huge. Francis Ford Coppola, come on. Ron, I mean, all of them, Mars, any of those. Those are huge. Those yeah. are the biggest of the big directors. And they wouldn't be where they are today if it wasn't for Roger. Not just that, he launched the careers of so many actors. Peter Fonda, Jack Nicholson, Dennis Hopper, Bruce Dern, Sylvester Stallone, John, Diane Ladd, William Shatner, um, Robert England, Sid Haig. Uh, I mean, it's, the list goes on and on and on and on. 416 films. Oh, then. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, he, you know, Corman, he's from Detroit, Michigan, and uh, he went to... Stanford University. He was actually going to be like an engineer of some kind or something like that. Um, but he ended up moving um, to start in film is what he wanted to do. He worked at, tw- at Fox, 20th Century Fox, in the mailrooms where he started. And he went from there, uh, providing ideas for um, a Gregory Peck-, Peck film, The Gunfighter. Okay, And he didn't receive any credit, but the ideas he gave to that is what kind of got him moved from the mailroom to working a little bit, writing, and moving on to movies. Um, he did Highway Dragnet in 1953 and started producing films. And he would produce a low-budget horror again, mostly. Uh, I think the first one he did was called The Monster from the Ocean's Floor, 1954. Um, he did the first original Fast and Furious in 55, produced it. Um, but then he moved on to starting to be able to... Um, make his own films he sold i think fast and furious or one of them to um um, uh, oh man can't think of their names um nicholson and harkoff they owned a company um samuel samuel harkoff and james nicholson owned a independent company back then called american releasing something American releasing company um and they helped push his career so they started having him direct films and it wasn't long after that that he finally got around to doing um, The Day the World Ended, which was a great, great um, in-the-world movie. Pretty much you've got nuclear war. World War Three happens, you know, ultimately. And mankind's wiped out, except for a few survivors. And they can't go outside of this home that's only got enough food to last just this father and, and daughter. But these other people show up, and there ends up being a mutant that used to be a human outside, you know, ready to attack and kill him. And it's just a super great movie. I mean, I still watch that movie today pretty (laughs) regularly. It's super, super good. But that really pushed his career. Then he started directing and producing other films. You know, Jack Nicholson and him teamed up actually twice, if I'm not mistaken, because he did The Terror with Jack Nicholson. No, he did A Little Shop of Horrors, original Jack Nicholson, uh, A Little Shop of Horrors. But before that, he found Jack Nicholson and put him in a movie called the crybaby killer and that kick-started jack's career um, well little shop horrors did but he technically did crybaby killer first um and he started picking up all these other people and so his, you know when he's, as he's doing these early films he then ends up pushing to do these egg Allen poe mm-hmm. films which he wanted to do and then that's when he got on with 
Vincent Price playing right. in a lot of these right. roles. Mostly Vincent would pay the bad guy in the stories, <laughs> which were great. You know what I mean? So the fall of the House of Usher really, really, really did it for Corman. Really made a name for himself. And that's when he started doing, creating his own companies and doing all these films. So, I mean, his career dates back to the 50s. Mm-hmm. The dude started, and he's still going to this day. And he, he's he got a perfect niche. He knows how to take a low-budget movie and make a ton of cash on it. You know I mean, when you look at the Carnosaur films that he did in the 90s, which are some of my absolute favorite, I love the first two Carnosaur films. There's three of them. Actually, technically five. <laughs> but the, the fourth and fifth one are called, like, Raptor Island and <laughs> something else, and they're just pretty much stock footage of the first three. Right. Um, just, you know, he had like $12,000 in those films and made tons of money off of it. But so like with, you know, Jurassic Park came out in 94, he did Carnosaur at the exact same time because he knew he was going to ride on the coattails of Jurassic Park. He knew how to do right. it. He took a very small budget, like $200,000, I think is what it was. No, it was probably a little more than that for Carnosaur and made a freaking fortune. Like mm-hmm. he literally... The tagline for Carnosaur was, this is no walk in the park. <laughs> I mean, he knew what he was doing and it was phenomenal for him he did so good to me he knew there would be those fans wanting to go see Jurassic Park they're like okay if there's real dinosaurs it'd be way bloodier than this and that's exactly what he did (laughs) he just poured on the blood and guts and uh, it's a great great movie and spawned again two direct sequels Carnosaur 2 which I think was actually an even better film and then Carnosaur 3 Primal Species um, which was still another very fun film not as good as the first two and then two offshoots um you know right. I mean, he, he does that all the time you know death races and he's done a lot of like different uh, exploitation type films he just he knows where to pocket put the money and how to make a ton of money but in the process he also knows how to find talent you know right. what i mean when, right. when a lot of people especially like william shatner robert england robert england was you've got galaxy of terror and forgotten worlds which are two phenomenal science fiction horror films very in reminiscence of alien and those type of movies um great movies but um he found talent that's trying to find that he knew was good robert england and sid haig now sid haig technically started pete told me this uh in a movie called spider baby with lon cheney jr which was absolutely amazing (laughs) that was actually sid's first film but then sid did uh, i think it was uh galaxy of terror with robert england for Roger Corman. So Roger Corman kickstarted so many people's right. careers. And I mean, not just actors, movie makers, soundtrack guys, special effects. I mean, James Cameron. I mean, James Cameron's first movie, um, well, one of his first movies was Piranha 2, which was a Roger Corman film based off the you know sequel to the first Piranha right. movie. And uh, now that's one of James's movie where he's like, doesn't tell anybody probably, you know what I mean? But <laughs> that's where he started, you know? And so Roger's huge. I mean, you've got a lot of those guys that make lower budget films. Mm-hmm. None of them do it with the shine, I guess you could say, or the polish that Roger does, you know? And most, right. most of the time, if you go to a movie the- movie store, you're bound to toss a pebble and hit a Roger Corman film. You <laughs> really, really are. Um, I mean, not just the, Low-budget horrors, but, I mean, the action films. made tons of action films. I mean, when you look at them on IMDb, I mean, yeah, 416 movies that this dude has credit for. Um, And a lot of the greatest classic monster films, I mean, I think of some ones in in my collection. I mean, um, It it Conquered the World, uh, Attack of the Giant Leeches, Little Shop of Horrors, The Wasp Woman. The Wasp Woman has actually been remade like two or three times. These are great classic science fiction films horror films from the 50s and 60s that he did that really did become classics right, you right. know um, so the dude's an absolute genius and he pushed everybody to do everything and of course he's got some 
crazy movies um, <laughs> out there. They're just like, what? But they were just cash crops from him. Right, I mean, right. uh, Creature from the Haunted Sea is one that I can think of. Um, Humanoids from the Deep, which has got one of my absolute favorite scenes of any movie <laughs> of all time in it. I mean, that's just low budget, just garbage. But it just did great. You know, I mean, he made a ton of money off of it. Yeah. And uh, he would just let people run with it. I mean, when you look at creatures or humanoids from the deep, another example is in the middle of this movie, I mean, these you got this ocean town down south and these humanoid sea creatures that are trying to, you know, find girls pretty much. Um, they go and crash this redneck party at the beach, <laughs> like the docks. And people start freaking out and screaming. And all of a sudden, all these rednecks and flannels are like, what are we running for? And they start like ripping two-by-fours off the docks and just start beating these things, <laughs> like and having a hoedown, like just a heyday with this. And it's just the most ridiculous <laughs> you've seen that if you would have taken any other movie that they – because most of the movie is serious, but this is such an off-the-wall scene in there. He's just like, go for it. Run with it, you know? <laughs> um, so, I mean, the dude just – he just really knows. And he, can, and he makes movies quick. I mean, most of his films are done like in 15, 30 days. Wow. I mean, quick wow. film shoots. Um, and he could turn around, turn around and do a whole movie. And like, I think his shortest sh- shoot schedule was like 12 days. And I think that was for like one of the Usher films. Actually, I think I got it listed right here. I'm sorry, 15 days. And that was the fall of the house of Usher. Wow. Um, did it extremely, extremely quick, but that is such an amazing movie. Yeah. So he knows, I mean, he's great work at work ethic and just an awesome director. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I know you haven't seen anything. No, not much. I, not- I wouldn't recommend a lot of this stuff probably to you, <laughs> except for the old, Edgar Allan Poe stuff right. in the fifties. I, th- I have seen the Raven. The Raven, yeah. oh man, it's so so good with with its price. It's been a while, Fall of the yeah. House Usher are still probably the best. Uh, my personal favorite is the Pit and the Pendulum. Right. Um, I, of course, all those are on you know on my Plex, but um, it's just great, great movies. A great director for yeah. those who haven't yeah. seen anything by Roger Corman. There's going to be a movie out there for you. Right. That's his. Um, there's probably going to be a lot that aren't <laughs> that that aren't for you. But um, you're bound, if in his massive library, you're going to have something of his that you're going to absolutely love or right. have at least seen. Like I said, I mean, it's we're talking 416 dang movies yeah. um, that he's done. I mean, of course, he's done weird movies, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you've got Attack of the Crab Monsters from 1957. Like, what what is that? Who wants to see Attack of the Crab Monsters? Who, you know, no one cares. Um, <laughs> but like I said, he's produced a ton of movies. Um, especially action films. And uh, there was one, Roger Corman's Frankenstein Unbound came out in 1990. was another one of his that I thought was actually absolutely amazing. Um, but if you look at my, on imdb.com, I'm looking at the numbers here. Producer, 415. Director, 56. Actor, 43. Writer, 10. Um, 13 miscellaneous. And, you know, he even did right. stunts for something, apparently. <laughs> I mean, he probably has the most in- intensive um, acting career or, not acting, but movie career right, of anybody. Right. Yeah. I can't, I mean, can you even think of a director or a Nowhere producer? Near. That's Nowhere not, near. Nowhere near. He's also done, you know, great sci-fi movies, like his newest, or one of the last ones he did, recent ones he did was Sharktopus versus Terracuda. <laughs> what? Like a shark, half shark, half octopus versus a half pterodactyl, half barracuda. Dude, he does some cheesy <laughs> ones. Some insanely cheesy, cheesy movies. Piranaconda. Was one. Um, he did actually one that he did. It was really good. It was called Camel Spiders. Came out in 2011. That's a fun, cheesy little movie. <laughs> but those are the type of movies that he definitely does a lot. Dino Croc versus Super Gator. Dino Shark um, was one. Uh, but again, now, now the Death Race movie that came out in 2008 uh-huh. with Jason Statham. He was an executive producer on that. Um, he did one, you know, Super Gator, like 
These are just right. weird movies, you know. What I mean, that he yeah. does. Um, now he did uh, 2004. There's a movie called Dino Crop that came out. I actually have that. That's actually really, really good. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just a long list of just lower budget right. action right. or you know horror type movies. But I mean, he's just it, it, everybody in the industry knows who he is. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen um, any of his movies, and I know the name. Like, oh yeah. It's just another good one of his to watch. Actually, with Mark Hamill, mm-hmm. is the fourth Watchers film. It's called Watchers Reborn. Um, he got the rights to the Watchers films, which the first Watchers, it's based off of Dean Koontz book. Um, the first Watchers had actually Corey Haim and Michael Ironside in it. It was wow. a really good movie. Yeah. Um, they did two more. The second one had um, Mark Singer in it, who was the Beastmaster. I can't remember who else in the third one. The third one was really low budget and not any good. But um, his company ended up getting the rights to Watchers, and they redid it, and Mark Hamill's in it. And oh, wow. it, I think it was came out actually called as Watchers Reborn. That's actually an extremely good movie. Yeah. Um, it's as good as the first one, in my opinion. Um, but, I mean, it, it's just his career. I mean, going through here looking at the list, and I'm in the 90s, and I don't even know how many I've looked at on here. The dude's just, <laughs> it's insane the amount of movies that he's done. Um, and big movies that spawn a lot of stuff, like Piranha. I mean, that's been remade, you know, with two newer films. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually it's been remade twice because he remade it himself in the nineties, uh, but when it wasn't still, still wasn't as good as this first one, the original Piranha film actually is an extremely good movie. Um, he even remade the wasp woman, um, that he did in the fifties. He remade in the nineties. Um, <clears throat> he did it and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So there's tons that he's done. He's done, a, he's done movies for, um, some HP Lovecraft books that were really good, like the unborn. Um, uh, he did, um, I'm wanting to say there was some there's some karate films, you know, like Live by the Fist, Dragon Fire <laughs> that he's done. I mean, you just the dude just does it. I mean, he knows how to make a buck probably better than anybody else in the in the in the industry. Um and but he's got an insanely massive, massive movie library. He actually had another one that I I actually have on the Plex and I love called uh, The Terror Within, mm. um, which was kind of another one of those post apocalyptic one where you got a bunch of people surviving together. Um, in a government bunker, a la kind of like um, Day of the Dead, you know. But uh, they got mutants outside trying to get in, and it was actually an extremely, extremely good movie. That one was a ton, a ton of fun. And like, um, oh, I'm sorry, I was wrong. He was an executive producer for the original Watchers film. That's why he still had the rights. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. So he's done some big ones too. I mean, not just low budget, but he has worked on some bigger films for other ones. Um, one of my favorite movies he did, and then we'll wrap this up was in 1987 movie called the munchies mm. which was like <clears throat> the gremlins just with attitude <laughs> because the grim gremlins for those who don't know about gremlins was that joe dante did with steven spielberg was really way more horror than it was than what came out i mean they, they were wanted to be a straight horror film is what it's going to be but then it kind of came out as this popcorn horror fun movie i mean like um i think in the original script like spike decapitates their dog <laughs> you know and, and then puts his head in the microwave or something it's like it's it's really crazy yeah. out there um but of course they changed it you know and made it more fun and campy so roger did a movie called the munchies i remember watching as a kid in 1987 that was like gremlins but like throw on biker jackets on the gremlins and <laughs> let them smoke cigars and like cause more chaos and you then that's the munchies um tons of fun it was kind of like a mix between somewhere between like Gremlins and Ghoulies, you find Munchies with a crazy, you know, cheesy rock and roll soundtrack. Super fun movie. <laughs> I remember that movie just stuck with me as a kid and uh, had a blast. I think it was probably the first time I realized I was watching 
a Roger Corman film was one because I was like, this is great. Who made this movie? <laughs> and saw his name on it. Then I started to notice his name on a lot of movies I was watching back right. then. I was like, oh, right. wow, this dude does everything. <laughs> so um, for those who haven't, I mean, he's got a massive library. There's there's tons of movies that are a lot of fun, tons of movies that are really bad and cheesy. Uh, but you will definitely enjoy at least one thing. Like, you know, at least the you know, Edgar Allan Poe film. So yeah. hopefully you enjoyed that. Learn a little bit about Roger Corman, like huge name in the industry. And we wouldn't have half of what we got. I mean, you think of Francis Ford Coppola uh, or James Cameron, either of those dudes. I mean, if Roger wouldn't have found James, would we have, you know, aliens? Would we have Terminator? Would we have, uh, we, we wouldn't have Avatar, thank the Lord, you know, <laughs> or Titanic. So dang you, Roger Corman. You, you know, <laughs> yeah, Avatar's of, not that bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, yeah, no. It looks pretty. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> That's what it got going for it. Um, and then, man, 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 man. Now I'm all mad at Roger because I'm like, we wouldn't have Titanic if it <laughs> yeah, wasn't Roger Corman. I, I had a guy at work the other day try to argue with me that Titanic was a good movie. He's wrong. <laughs> Absolutely wrong. Even Ruben the other day messaged me. He's, he was like, you need to put Titanic on the Plex. That won't happen. That will that will never happen. No. So, all right. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. So definitely, you know, hit us up uh, on Facebook. Let us know, you know, about the cage matches, man. Let us know yeah, some characters yeah. you would like to see because we're going to start doing those yeah. um, more regularly. And uh, of course, you know, listen back to the next Monster Movie Stomp Down. Next week's episode is the Legend of Boggy Creek. Can't wait to hit this awesome 1970s Bigfoot movie with Mark and Ruben. <laughs> it's going to be an absolute blast. And then when we come back next month for the main episodes, it's going to be the Power Rangers episode, so I'm pretty stoked because we're totally dropping the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers theme song. And it's oh yeah, not the new crap. I'm talking about like you know, the <laughs> '90s uh, Power Rangers theme song with the metal guitar. It's going to be super awesome. So I'm super stoked because uh, that one. Of course, we've got a friend of ours from church, Austin, who's planning on coming in uh, because he's a big Power Rangers fan, right? Yes, uh, yeah. So I'm planning on blowing his mind when he gets here. <laughs> so because I like, I love the original Power Rangers. I went to the movies and saw the first movie. Um, you know, with Ivan Ooze. Uh, even went, unfortunately, to the theaters and saw Turbo, the, the sequel to it. Um, thankfully, didn't go see the new one in theaters. I waited until it was on digital. Um, which it wasn't that bad. It, it but was that bad. <laughs> it, was, it was fun up until the end. Like the, the, the big Zord fight. They just, I don't know if you saw this, but they actually, and I'm, we should ask Austin too, they just released the um, um, designs for the Green Ranger they originally oh, had for the film they showed him online sweet. and he looked sick like he looked freaking awesome so um, but, that's just an Elizabeth Banks thing ever since Hunger Games her movies are just going way downhill yeah. yeah so uh, but they're bringing another Power Rangers film back actually Power Rangers coming back in another film and the, they have stated they are they're not trying to do what they did with new and they're not trying to make it you know, cool and hip and Transformers-esque. They're just, they know it's nostalgic. They know what makes the show works and know why people loved it originally. And that's what they're going for. So hopefully they get it right this yeah, time. Yeah. So pretty excited about that one. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. So, all right, guys. Thank you all so much. This is Sludge. This is Bika. Y'all have a good night. Right.